apostle writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of his, each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, show us the meaning of this text this evening. Show us what love is. Show us what marriage means, and show us the glory of the gospel through marriage. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. So when someone sees me leading Kelly and protecting Kelly and serving Kelly and giving my wife for Kelly, God wants them to see a small picture of Jesus protecting, serving, and giving his life for his church. If you don't, if you don't get that, you're not going to get anything else I say. Um, marriage is a depiction of the gospel. So that means I take my most ultimate cues on how to love Kelly by looking and studying and marinating and meditating and investigating and contemplating how Jesus loves his bride. That's how I, that's, what, that's my blueprint for how to love Kelly. Everything I need for a successful, God-honoring, beautiful, satisfying marriage is found in what Jesus does for the church. Everything. I don't need to look anywhere else. Now, I can read books, and you can, books are great, we, we read them all the time. But a good marriage book should only be fleshing out what we just read. Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to mark a note or something like that, I want you to, in your Bible, if you write in your Bible, some of y'all don't, Right. I want you to circle what you just what you just read. I want you to circle it and just point and just make a star and say marriage. Because every time I'm going to take a new couple, we got three, well, two and a half. We got a girl who's here wanting to join our church who's married or engaged. Um, so we got two and a half <laughs> uh, engaged couples at this church. And the first thing, when I sit them down, as I will all of them, the first text we'll go to is Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, now, there's many other texts in the Bible. I don't want to say this one's more inspired than any other. But this one, as well as I can ever find, lays out what and how biblical marriage is. So therefore, all the cues I need for how to love Kelly are in this text. Number one, I'm the initiator. I don't wait for Kelly to give me a reason to bless her and to love her and to cherish her. I don't wait for Kelly to get her act together before I apologize to her. Since I know that salvation is by sovereign grace, since I know that Jesus in his sovereignty came after me first, since I know that Jesus pursued me, since I know that Jesus came after me, I come after Kelly, serve her without any condition. 
Constantly. Jesus didn't wait for a condition. He just came after me. Daryl has said many times. I have said. Robert has said. He found me. I wasn't even looking. He found me. Kelly should say the same thing when I come home and love her. You you ever uh, had uh, women go, you need, do you want something? You're being awful nice to me. (laughs) You know, you know they say that. I want her saying that all the time. I don't want to, no, just want to love you. Honestly, that's how I felt in the gospel. How did, why did Jesus do that? Because he's love. Why are you doing that for me, Avi? Because I love you. You're beautiful. You're precious. I cherish you. I love my wife, and a husband's a husband should not love his wife based on how she is that day. She shouldn't. Because why? Go to the gospel. Sovereign grace. Number two, I serve my wife. A lot of men demand to be respected before they show love to their wives. It don't work like that. Once she owns up and respects me, then I'm, I'll, I'll love her. But if I'm not giving her respect, I ain't going to do it. No, 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 no. That's not how Jesus worked, was he? Jesus didn't sit around like, okay, I'm the king of kings. And if these Israelites don't get their act together, I ain't going to do nothing for them. No, 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 no. What did God do? He served his bride. He sent Jesus and they killed him. He served his dirty bride. My love for Kelly is not dependent on Kelly. Willie's love for his wife, Robert's love for his wife, Ben's love for his wife, not dependent on their wives. Number three, I'm the head of my household. I am Kelly's authority just as Jesus is the head of the church. Now, what in the world does that mean? I know a lot of godly women. You say, hey, I'm I'm the head of my wife. And they go, the what? You the what? Verse 22. Everybody look at verse 22. Right out of the gate, first thing he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That don't fly in 21st century America. I thought we were equal. He never says you're not. In 21st century America, submission means slavery. Oh, so I'm in bondage to you. Oh, I'm subservient to you. Not in God's kingdom. Jesus submitted to the Father. They're one. They're equal in deity. When I was young, I submitted myself to my parents. We're the same. They had authority over me. I have a boss. His name's Cody. He ain't my superior, but he's my boss. Human civilization, in some ways, wouldn't even work if we did not submit to people who are equal to us. We act like it's just in marriage. No, 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 it's everywhere. Eddie's his boss. Eddie is not anymore, has no more dignity, has no more real anything other than the fact that he's over Daryl at that work. And when Daryl leaves, they the same. This is how Western civilization has gone on for centuries. It is not just in marriage. Submission does not mean inferiority. Authority does not mean superiority. I'm not superior to my wife. But I do have authority over her. 
And I think we, I mean, it's almost like everything we need to know about that we find in the Trinity. That's why we spent time there. Go back to the Trinity and you can solve your authority and equality problems. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equal in glory, equal in deity, equal in attributes, equal in everything. The Father has authority over the Son. And they're good. Some people hear that and they're like, oh, forever? I don't know about that. Why not? Our culture hates submission in marriage because our culture hates the idea that God determines who and what we are. What's the, what's the lie in the garden? You'll be like who? You'll, like, you'll be like God. Ooh, I like that. I get to do what I want. I get to dictate what I want. No, 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 no. The lie begins with you get to be like God. Marriage is God's instrument. In, in Every day, God reminds Abby when he comes home to Kelly, I'm not God. Because I got a wife that I'm going to serve. I have authority over her and I'm, in, I'm stewarding my home. My wife's call to submit to me is her role. It does not mean she's inferior. God has constructed human sexuality in such a way that men cannot boast over women and women cannot boast over men. Think about it. Every woman in here would not be here without who? Adam. He came from the rib. You can't boast over that. Adam named Eve. But yet every man in here was born of a who? A woman. God set it up like that. Men don't be there. The misogyny is, is, it doesn't work. You wouldn't be here without your mama. Women can't boast over men because Eve came from Adam. We can't boast over the, of the other sex. There is a natural equality that will always exist between man and woman. Wives, submit to your own husbands. How? As to the Lord. Let's read verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. That means I am the head of my wife. Whoa, 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 Bobby, that's a little barbaric. Well, I'm not ashamed. I mean, I don't walk around like the mall and be like, the authority. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um... And, there are, and we're going to talk about abused authority. But somebody would be like, Bobby, you really got authority over your wife? Yeah, I do. Why? Because God looked at it, made it, and said what? It's very good. If it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. Why am I proud to have authority over my wife? Because I get to display the gospel to my wife and to the world in the way that I love her. The problem is that men are proud to have authority over their wives when they should be proud to portray the gospel to their wives. I'm not proud to be over my wife. I'm proud that God set up our marriage in such a way that we get to display the splendor of the gospel to everyone. We can't be ashamed to have authority in our homes. I was at a small group, Sunday night small group, I don't know if the Malloys were there, the Norman small group, and I said, uh, what does it mean for men to have authority over their wives? Were you there? And I taught that little class that I had to get, yeah. I didn't get much. What I got, I think you spoke up. Ben did. Ben was probably the most biblical. 
But what I got was, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I'll t- what I got was, well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. Those young boys in there, those young husbands, they were, like, they were looking at their wives like, well, well, I know it don't mean that um, they were wanting to get off with the wives first. And the, and, the, and the question never got answered, I don't think. What does it mean to have authority over our wives? Well, first, we know that it's very good. We know that it's not because I have more being or of her, more being than her, I don't have more dignity than her, I don't have more value than her, I don't have more wealth than her. But in the scheme of God, in the way that He has set up marriage, I have authority over her before God. And somebody might go, well, that's a little barbaric, Abby. I dare a feminist to come into my house, pick the, go to some wherever, find the most raging liberal feminist you can find and have her come and hang out in my home. And before she gets in my home, go, hey, I'm going to let you know first. The man has the authority in this home. Just, just tick her off real good before she gets in there. She's going to go, I don't want to meet this person. Go, no, go ahead. And I dare her to see how I love my wife, how I serve my wife, how I clean the dishes for my wife, how I serve and mop the floor for my wife. There are certain things I do for my wife. I want her to see how I give my life for my wife and see if she has a problem with that kind of authority. You find me a woman who hates male authority and I'll show you the authority of Jesus that woos her, that spoils her, that seeks to please her, loves her unconditionally, and I bet you that woman's not going to hate male authority. Why? Because that's the authority that Jesus brings in the gospel. And my wife is not a stepping stool. In fact, sometimes, I'll tell you this, I think a woman who is under male-loving biblical authority, that's when she gets to become who she is. My wife is under my authority. I protect her. I serve her. I'm the head of the household. And my wife... She's not a stepping stool. My wife is sassy. Y'all know her. She's independent. She's got personality. I don't stymie her. I don't suppress her. She's all good with my kind of authority. Why? Because I show her the authority of Jesus. And I don't, and I think there's a part of women who want to be protected. They want to be served. Who doesn't want that? Again, I have to go. When I, when, I'm, when I have a fight with my wife and I go back to Jesus, I can't. That's why I think Peter says it hinders our prayers when we're, when we're, when we're in fights with our wives. When we're, because, and I know she's my, she's, she's my better half. I can't have a relationship with Jesus and talk to Jesus while my other half, I'm not treating her right. Gender roles were created by God for the very specific purpose of depicting the love of the gospel to the world. Verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I had a a deacon years ago. He wanted to meet with me. And they were disciplining their young son 
and um, somehow the mama and the daddy didn't had a disagreement on how uh, severe the punishment should be. Throw in another variable. The in-laws were home. And apparently the mama, when the daddy was spanking the son or something, the mama stepped in and was like, no. And he didn't like that very much. And so they had a huge fight. It blew up. He came to me and he was like, she don't respect my authority. I'm not going to put up with it. He's like, she needs to respect me, is what, she, what he kept saying. And the problem was, I could already see in their marriage that way before that episode, this guy thought that in order for there to be love in the marriage, she needed to respect him first, and therefore there would be more love. But that's not how a marriage works. This guy, I think this would all have been shaped if he were serving and loving and giving his wife for his bride. And then that interaction in front of their children, in front of their in-laws, would have been drastically different. A woman, who is, a woman who's loved and served and cherished unconditionally is the most beautiful woman in the world. And I want to be careful when I say this because it, the Lord is, is my wife's true head and the Lord is my wife's sufficiency but I have the I have the ability as the man to come home and make her feel absolutely gorgeous I do she loves me we're the same person we're the same flesh I have the ability to go home and to do things in certain ways whether it's give her a massage I'm not going to, we're not going to give too many things, too many, too many illustrations here. My point being, she's my wife, and I know what she likes, and I know how to serve her. And I know how to make my wife feel beautiful. When Jesus found the bride, she wasn't beautiful, she wasn't clean, she was made beautiful, she was made clean. And I think our culture today wants the woman to dress up first in order to love her. You better look pretty first. I'm not going out with a girl who don't dress up. Or a culture wants the woman to put out first before we give them anything. Or the culture wants the woman to have some little money first. But the gospel says because Jesus loves first, we what? We love. There are no strings attached. That's why we said last week, loving Jesus for what he can give you in return is like marrying a woman for her money. I want to make Kelly feel as beautiful as I can. Even the way I speak to Ruby now. My wife's really good at this. My wife feels like in some ways, my wife was always raised to think that her most valuable asset was her physical beauty. And she was never praised and affirmed in anything else. And she said that really had some consequences with me. Because I thought that was what I had to offer the world. And so, because of that, my wife's super sensitive. So I'll, I'll go up to Ruby and I'll be like, you are, you're so pretty. You're so beautiful. My, my, I mean, my daughter is just gorgeous. She'll walk around. She'll have a new shirt. She'll be cute. you know. And I'll go, you are so beautiful. And my wife will go, and she's funny. And she's smart. And I'm like, and you're so smart. 
funny. And, and the reason is, the reason my wife's on patrol is because around every turn, we want to make sure that even at three years old, my daughter's value and worth is knowing that we love her for her. Not in one thing. She is so tender and so vulnerable and so malleable at three years old that everything we say, we want to make sure we, that she feels loved, not used. We want to make sure that she feels as beautiful as she can, not for anything that we see that she can give us or give the world, but we want to love her just because we love her. Let's read verses 28 through 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. I think I've said this before. I have never walked away from a fight with my wife feeling good. Even when I got a good, like, line in at the end, I've had that a couple times. She'll say something, and then I'll just, I've got a quick tongue. It's honestly quicker than hers. I'll just say it. That's not always a good thing. And she'll say something, she'll go, and not miss the beat, I'll be like, like that, whatever. I mean, it'd be so well timed too. It'll just, you know, whatever she got to say, it's just like. But some reason, I never walk away going. Mm. I always feel like I just slapped myself. There is no time where I could ever slander or get at her or dig at her. There's never a thing I can do to her that I don't feel like I'm being kicked in my own butt. That's because we are one flesh. There is no argument with her that I truly win. It's like me fighting with myself. Why? Because we are one flesh. What does Paul say? He couldn't say it any clearer. He who loves his wife loves himself. And I'll say it the other way around. He who hates his wife hates himself. A man who cannot get along with his wife, he doesn't know how to get along with anybody. A man who mistreats his wife might as well be abusing himself. And that's why when I see a young man given to alcohol, or pornography, or addiction, or laziness. He hates himself. So how would I unite him and yoke him with another person to become one flesh, wherein then he can, be, he can actually hate her too? Divorce is not just a legal thing. And I want to be careful here, because my mom is divorced... I grew, raise your hand if you know somebody's divorced. That's the, it's the air we breathe. That's why I don't think we talk about it as much. I think there was a time when 
15, maybe even 10 years ago, where we talked about homosexuality, but we never really thought any of them were around. Well, it's out in California. Well, it's out in, Cal- you know, it's in New York City. This is Georgia. The Bible Belt. Well, see, now they're around. They're the people we love, people we know. And I don't think, and I want to, and this is obvious now, this is in the Bible. I don't think we would have arrived at homosexual culture unless we had first let the door in with divorce culture. And what I mean by that is, when we let divorce become commonplace, and we treated it like it was nothing, and we said things like, I want to be happy. God wants me to be happy. I want to have my life. See, when we said those things, homosexuals were listening and they were watching. And what they said was, well, you folks believe man is marriage between a man and a woman for life, and you don't even obey what you believe. And you say that everything is about your happiness, well, why can't I live the way I want to? And what we forgot was divorce is ripping two people apart who were supposed to be one. And I, today, to this day, you will not hear me say, I don't think I've ever said, and I want to, be, and I want to clarify here, when two guys are talking and somebody says to me, Hey, hey, it's just between you and I. That's right, it's fine. I will never ask, I will never come and confide to you and tell you not to tell your wife. I won't do it. It's okay if you've done that, and I'm not saying it's sin, but theologically and in reality, I understand that if she's your other half, Why in the world would I ever ask you to keep something from the person who is one flesh with you? I don't know if you could do it. Now, if you say something because you know that your wife's a big blabbermouth and you don't want her getting out, that's another conversation you need to have with your wife. (laughs) That's another issue. That's another issue. But I, I don't want to create a schizophrenic Christian. I don't want you to go to bed with the woman who is most close to you and not be able to tell them something that's right there. And I'll tell you this, it's not an easy road because there are times in ministry where I come home knowing something, as I have pretty much every week, and there are times when I decide if I can, I don't want to tell her because I want to shield her from the crap that I just engulfed that week. So I, I want to be careful there. It's hard. And I'm not saying that every husband comes home and says everything to his wife. My point is that we don't need to make light of the one flesh union. And I will never, if I can, ask a woman to keep anything from her husband or a husband to keep anything from her. Yeah. And here's another thing. When we raise our when we raise our young professionals, this is how I this is I was raised in a culture where you went to college. That's I know a lot of people don't aren't raised like that. I was raised in a town 
and in a community and amongst families where everybody went to college. And the overwhelming consensus was, hey, you better get that degree first and then worry about the woman later. And I'm not saying that the people who told me that were in sin. But you've got to be careful when you say things like that. Because a lot of divorces have begun with that little idea. Because what you've done is, like, for example, if I have an 18-year-old girl who got straight A's and was valedictorian in her high school, and then what I did was I groomed her to think that her first purpose was to go to college and get a degree to become a doctor and become a lawyer, and I told her time and time again, molding her and shaping her to think that her first priority was her career, and then to tell her at that point you are allowed to get a husband because you don't want your husband screwing up your first priority, which is your career. So what I've done over time is I've groomed that young woman to think, what I'm going to do is I'm going to become a doctor, I'm going to become a lawyer, I'm going to become a teacher, and then after I'm done, I'm going to add a husband on top of it. And that's not the way it works. You don't add a marriage on top of your first professional calling. And I think I've seen a lot, boy and girl, man and woman, I've seen a lot of marriages that have failed because the man or the woman thought that their first commitment was their profession. And that's not how it works. Why? Because of the one flesh union. That's my my wife. If how in the world can I put how in the world can I put my ministry above my wife? My wife is my own flesh. Um so let's go to the last, let's go to verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What did he just quote? I just we just went through this Sunday. There you go. I was say. There's a common objection in our culture today where we go, hold on, male, female. Male authority, women submitting to men, men, pastors. Paul's just writing 2,000 years ago. It doesn't apply to America. How in the world am I supposed to take my cues from a man that wasn't ever married? And he's in ancient Greece. You think that has anything to do with 21st century America? He knows about man and woman now. I'm supposed to take all my cues about manhood and womanhood from a guy who wasn't even married and he was talking to a bunch of pagans. You, you, I know all of you heard that. Well, 31, verse 31 just puts a shot in the heart to that excuse. Because what Paul does is he takes this entire argument and he says, look, this is the way it was in the garden. So I want to leave with this. Gender roles, manhood, womanhood, they're not cultural. They're creational. This wasn't something that Paul just conjured up. This wasn't something that Paul said, hey, I pulled this from the Greeks. This wasn't something where God says, oh, you know, everybody's kind of different. If you want to do the manhood, woman thing, whatever works for you. No, at the end of it all, the Apostle Paul says, this is the way it was in Genesis chapter 1. 
Now, there are some, you know, we can work out different cultural things. Uh, and we don't have time, but I think there is room to stretch out some things regarding the way we structure churches and whatnot. But here's the thing. Manhood and womanhood, marriage, gender roles, they don't, there are certain things that are not designed to change because those are the things, even in Genesis 1, that God said these things are going to picture the gospel. And they're not a mistake, and they're not subject to culture. They are creational. God had a plan from Genesis chapter 1 to show his love for his church in regular, ordinary human beings like Avi and Kelly. Like Willie and Adrian. Like the Jenkinses. Like the Washingtons. Maybe the Malloys, I'm not sure. That's, that's love. And so tonight, when you go home, right now, um, <laughs> Kelly and I are always... I don't, I, and I, and let me make sure I, I want to... <laughs> I'm not a perfect husband. And if I have ever, if I've ever come off like that tonight, woe is me. I don't, there are times where I don't want to serve her, and I don't. But then I come back to the Bible and the gospel, and, I, and, and God teaches me in his word how to serve my bride. And that's why I don't think God has any tolerance whatsoever for a couple. You know, we talk all the time about homosexual marriages. And yes, homosexuality is a sin. That's very clear. But I don't think God has any tolerance either for 60-year-old marriages where the man and the woman just sat around for 60 years and didn't honor one another and the man didn't get off his butt and serve her and love her and cherish her. He just took her for granted and lived his life for 60 years. Heterosexual marriage is not the goal. The goal is God-honoring, gospel-centered, biblical marriage, and there's a difference. There are a lot of heterosexual marriages that are just as much of a sham as a homosexual one. And that needs to convict us. That's why I told y'all, uh, when I hear a, a guy, and, and like I said, we've got some marriages here that have lasted a long time, and as far as I know, they're God-honoring. But I come across these 30, 40, 50-year-old marriages sometimes, and I've heard this a couple times, and I think I've even preached on this before, where I'll hear the guy goes, you know what? Haven't had one fight. <laughs> what in the world? Were you married to a robot? My wife and I fought on the way to the airport from the wedding. Because my in-laws. And when I hear someone like that, I want to always shut. If, if I can, for people I don't know, I want to. I want to make sure I give them as much of the benefit of the doubt as I can. I don't believe that. I think that's junk. You're going to sit here and tell me for 40, 50 years y'all didn't have one fight. That's bull. And I'm going to tell you something else. You didn't use marriage the right way. Because marriage is a tool for your sanctification. And what you're telling me, older man, is that I don't need to be sanctified. I don't believe it. 
what I would much rather have that older, wiser Christian come back to me as Robert has many times and say, hey, see that woman over there? She has shing, 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 sharpened me half dozen ways and she's still molding me. That is what our young people need to hear. That is what our young marriages... I can't learn nothing from the perfect streak. I can't learn nothing from it. I don't believe it. I think it's a lie. But what I need after God... When he told me that, I'm like, well, dang, man, I'm already in the hole. (laughs) When I look at someone who's wise and they're going, man, I've screwed up. But hey, that's why God's using marriage. And now it becomes a picture of the gospel. Um... So I want to end with that tonight. Love is not, God's love is not dependent on a perfect strength in marriage. God's love is the picture of two sinners loving one another unconditionally. In their weaknesses, in their transgressions, and then the world sees that and they go, in a world where divorces are rampant, in a world where homosexuals are everywhere and fighting for their version of marriage. In a world where Satan has distorted the word love around every corner and then simple, gospel-filled, biblical marriages, quietly living, loving one another, the world will take notice. And I think that honors God. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Father, blessed be your name. We know that we will not be married in heaven. The marriages we have today are just practice. These are momentary marriages preparing us for the eternal one we will have with Jesus forever. Father, I pray that the marriages we have today will sharpen us, encourage us, and prepare us for glory. All these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.